Welcome to Go Home Heat, a wrestling podcast, a sports entertainment podcast, specifically a Survivor Series podcast. This is KP coming at you solo as everyone else had to go to bed because they have to go to work tomorrow. I'm working at night, so it's all good. So thoughts for the evening on Survivor Series. I would love to tell you that Survivor Series was an amazing, amazing special event on the Peacock Network. Huge success. I cannot tell you that. Although I will say there were some very high, high points. I personally thoroughly enjoyed the first match. Thoroughly enjoyed the last match. Thoroughly enjoyed the women's match. Thoroughly enjoyed the tag team match. The men's match, we'll get into it. The Pizza Hut match, Nick Khan was there. He was on the side. Right there in the front row corner, front corner, really good seat for any good kid to pay whose rich parents could pay a couple of grand to let him sit there and look at the wrestlers as they come by. Instead, the executive, the man who loves to see the heads a roll, Nick Khan, was right there ready to rock, observing all of this, probably thoroughly enjoying the beauty of product placement. I recall reading an article in which one Stephanie McMahon mentioned that I told our investors that unlike football games, we can put products, commercial products, in our actual matches. And here we had a match featuring Pizza Hut boxes. We had Omas run roughshod over the entire men's roster that wasn't involved in the match itself tonight. That's fine. Whatever. I actually think it was booked properly. I think the way they are they are telling the tale of Omos' Omos's growth being done properly in the tag team division as we see him dominating and dominating until eventually he gets this solo run as the, as this giant. So him winning I got no problem with. I don't even have a problem with Montez Ford slinging pizza as hard as he can throughout the arena. Not a problem. It's all good. But you do have to notice these things. And if I'm getting hit in the face with a slice of pizza or I would assume like unless the cheese was glued on to the pizza, then when he went to throw it, cheese went everywhere. I didn't see that. So I would assume this pizza was delivered somewhere around five o'clock for a throw at nine o'clock, which would mean the cheese was hard. It's very dangerous, and it was pointy. The pizza's pointy. Anywho, so we had that happen. Amazing. (laughs) Another interesting thing about this is, supposedly, Shinsuke versus Damian Priest was going to be I thought this, I didn't even realize this match was going to be on the card. Then I saw it was on the card. Then I said, well, wow, that's going to really be cool because those guys are really great. Did we get a great match? Yeah. We got Damien going further into his, I can't control my temper character. And he kind of implodes, which in theory, your Survivor Series theme, as Corey said so eloquently during the, during the, 
last match of the evening, the theme of the night is to survive. We had Becky, who survived. We had Roman, who survived. We had Bianca, who survived. We had RK-Bro, who survived. All of these were fantastically done. Then we had Omos, who didn't follow that script. He dominated. And we had Priest, who imploded. I can't tell you in one word what the... (laughs) Men's tag team match was. I'll have to get into it in more detail. Okay, first and foremost, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, I thought was a fantastic matchup. I thought they leaned, it looked, they leaned into the fact that it's obviously the story has been told. These two people don't like each other. We ring the bell, they go right at each other. It's fisticuffs, it's physical, it's brutal. There's very, they're showing each other up. One-upsmanship as Becky winds up putting the figure four on Charlotte, which is a kind of a middle finger to the dad as well, who has publicly said things about Becky. Charlotte, in turn, gets the disarmor on her. Like I said, the matchup's great. The finish winds up leaning even further into the father's character as well, which obviously that's tongue-in-cheek or whatever you want to call it, but the dirtiest player in the game would be Rick Flair. Charlotte leans into that aspect as she tries to grab the rope to pin Becky in a roll-up. Referee sees it. Becky's able to reverse it. The referee, when but Becky waits to grab the rope ground, which is the moment when Charlotte will try to kick out. That's when she grabs the rope. Referee unable to see because she didn't go for the rope early. She out-cheated the cheater. Charlotte, to some degree, gets to save face here. As she wasn't whooped, she was outfoxed. Becky gets to continue to be this heel, even though in this match there was no way she was the heel because everybody's read the dirt sheets and kind of thinks they know, even if they don't know what's really going on here. I don't know if this match is a match of the year candidate. I read a couple of things online about that. I think the finish to some degree disqualifies it as a match of the year candidate. I do believe it was definitely match A match 1A, match 1B, as far as the Roman Reigns and Big E match from later on in the night. I don't know for sure which one of those was match of the night, but they were both great. My cohort on these podcasts is Justin, the WWE versions of these podcasts, and he was totally not inspired by the Survivor Series because of the lack of buildup. And I thought, tried to say to him, hey, you got to understand, you know, the they, because of the placement of Crown Jewel, and I do believe this is one of the reasons why Survivor Series has not been what it once was, due to the placement of things like Crown Jewel, how close together the draft is to Survivor Series, it's really hard to paint a picture of red brand versus blue brand, so you kind of have to do the storytelling inside of the teams themselves. Agree with it or don't agree with it, that's just kind of the hand you're dealt with. He doesn't agree with it, and I totally get that. But here I thought, okay, we have Kevin Owens, and he has this huge rivalry with Seth that has led them both to the dark side of the force. Well, Seth was already there. But they're going to be dealing with Big E over the next little while. That's one story going into here. Xavier Woods has been the undercurrent in the main story of wrestling in WWE, both going back to Raw as he rises from tag team levels up into the main event, loses main event matches with Lashley, moves over here to SmackDown and becomes one of the main focuses and then lately winning King of the Ring and becoming a main focus of all of WWE along with being a challenger, legitimate challenger, we think, 
to one tribal chief, Roman Reigns. So you would think those would be things that would carry the match, right? These two storylines that we've invested time in. You would be wrong. Kevin Owens doesn't wrestle at all. He argues with Seth about being in the ring. As soon as they ring the bell, he walks out. Okay, Seth kind of did the same thing last year where he sacrificed himself for the team. This is the exact opposite as Kevin walks off and leaves because he doesn't care one bit about Team Raw. He's going to be in good shape to fight again tomorrow night. Woods, I got no explanation for. At least that storyline can continue tomorrow. Why we had Woods, who was this huge part of everything going on, just get ragdolled by Lashley and go to sleep, I got no clue. I got no clue why that's part of it. I don't understand it. I don't understand why we had Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre fight all over the arena and then get a count out. It didn't, it didn't make sense to me. It felt like, I'm not saying the match itself was bad. It just doesn't make, it just, there's a lack of continuity there. That's all. Lack of continuity there. Okay. But since that doesn't make sense, at least we'll have a further storyline that makes sense as for sure. Seamus and Jeff, who wind up being towards the end of the match, Austin Theory and Seth Rollins. This is going to make sense, right? Of course it will. Come on now. We decide we're going to have Seamus, who has <laughs> completely been a t- thorn in Jeff's side. Tried to make the man start drinking again. The works. Hated rivalry. So for the blue brand that they've been on, (laughs) I don't know what to tell you guys. For the blue brand, they decide patch it up, even though we're supposed to, I guess, forget all that has happened between these two guys, and they get on the same page for just long enough for Sheamus to get pinned and turn around and dump Jeff on his head or whatever, beat up Jeff for a second, put him at a disadvantage in this two-on-one fight. It made zilch for sense because that's that's your swerve laid in it is that Sheamus is going to beat up Jeff. I've been watching Sheamus beat up Jeff for like two years. Why would that be a swerve? Was the crowd supposed to go crazy? So we get Jeff going through theory and then moving through to where he fights Seth one-on-one. I, it wasn't that I hated the action. The guys did as good as they could do considering what they were told to do. Seth and Jeff had a good little match up there late in the thing. Seth winds up getting the W as, you know, Jeff goes for the swanton. Seth gets the knees up, turns it into a quick stomp. One, two, three. Totally makes sense in that. Seth can say, see, I told you I was the face of Raw, especially considering the fact that Big E loses later in the night. It just felt like this match could have been so much more, and for whatever reason, it was the amount of time that allowed for it to be more, but whatever we did, and this is where my my counterpart, my counterpart would go crazy about why did we do this, that, the other. I think he texted, he texted me during the match, this is just stupid. I get it. I don't want to get too wrapped up in it all. I don't, I mean, hey, that's what we do though, right? We're fans. That's why we do this, right? I made the mistake of fantasy booking the match at what I thought would be really neat. 
And when it was nothing like that, it made me mad. I'll admit it. You got me. I did thoroughly enjoy the women's match. At first, I got scared because we had Mella get eliminated because she couldn't get her mask on, which was annoying. But it did tell, you know, Zelina trying to give her the mask and Rhea knocks Zelina off the apron. And then Carmella gets knocked out. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, they're going to completely overbook this, too. They didn't. That was it for that part of the mess. Then we get a great match. We get Bianca and Sasha one-on-one for an extended period, which, God, they just reminded you that they are the greatest hits. They are so good. Everything they do, they Sasha's the best anyway. And Bianca's getting to that point. Every time you see her, she's better. Then you had... Tony Storm get to get a couple of quick pins in there because she's going to be facing Charlotte down the road. So we want to get her some looking strong going into the Charlotte thing. And she kind of sort of does as she gets a couple of pins. Then we have Liv come into the ring. Liv and Tony have a very good little back and forth that Liv winds up winning. Liv's going into a program with Becky Lynch. So that kind of makes sense right there. It helps push that program along. Then we wind up with Rhea Ripley getting in the ring and she does her regular Herculean, Herculean feats. There was one thing where she was placed into a double standing suplex and the ease in which a, a young lady her size can make herself straight up and down and be help and to help out her partners in that. And then as they fall, kind of kick her legs like a bicycle on the way down. I mean, it's great what they were able to do by picking her up, but her being able to balance herself to make that work was one thing. And she did a couple of moves where she just showcased this incredible strength as she takes someone from the ground and puts them on her legs and then flips them over and then turns them into a standing suplex. And we got several really beautiful standing suplexes in this match as Bianca got one as well and held somebody for a while on it. Then you had this really strong, Really strong finish for to knock Rhea out as you get like a quadruple combo of all the competitors on the other team on the SmackDown roster to get her out of there. And then we wind up with your Bianca Belair versus four of them, but Sasha pisses off the whole team because she's not a great captain. And they basically think we got this wrapped up and they run Sasha off. They won't let her back into the ring. Her own team won't. So it becomes... I would guess that somehow Nat, Natty Baszler and Shotzi were the heels in this scenario, I guess. And so they're running off the baby face, but it really didn't feel like that. It felt a lot more like the people I kind of like ran off the girl who's not great at playing with others, which I love Sasha too. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just talking about watching Sasha over her career, the backstabber that she is. That's kind of the way it felt. So then we got Bianca three on one and she manages to pull it off as she pins all three. Great, wonderful ending. Bianca is the showcase here. We got strong performances from Liv, strong performance from Tony, strong performance from Sasha. Nobody looks weak in this thing except Mella. And Mella didn't even have to wrestle. They even had Zelina, who has obviously been queen queen of the ring, in there to do some really nice moves here and there. I I just really liked the way this was booked. It wasn't overdone. It allowed for strength strength from 
Rhea, strength from Bianca. It allowed to show the quickness of Liv. It allowed for Tony to get strength. It, well done. Chef's kiss to this. The polar opposite of what we got in the men's match. Who has the greatest tag team in all of the WWE Universe? We chose to go with the Usos versus Slitherweed. That's right. RK Bro. I thought it was a banger. I thought it was a great match. I thought that the Usos are getting pinned. I, th- I believe the Usos are getting pinned a little more than they should probably be getting pinned, but they are getting to keep the belts anyway, so maybe it's not that bad. Here you had them constantly running their mouths whenever they had the things going in their favor. Riddle got to showcase his strength in moments, his wrestling ability in moments. Riddle is a fantastic wrestler. That was all on show. Orton was not allowed in the ring all that much. The Usos wind up getting this thing into where where they excel is the craziness of these matches. And this is where they managed to get this to. And they knock Randy off the apron. They've got Riddle isolated. He's ready for the finish. He goes up for the flying Uso. And what do you know? Randy was the legal man. Somehow in all the craziness, where the Usos live is where they made their mistake this time. They didn't see the tag, the blind tag by Randy before he super kicked him off the apron. This leads to an RKO out of nowhere and a nice win for Snake in the Grass. Team Snake in the Grass. Yep, good win for them. Then we had Roman versus Biggie. The buildup for this thing was perfect. You had Roman made sure Kofi had been injured. Roman's been feuding with Woods. Both of these guys mean everything in the world to Big E. Big E had been chasing Roman for months. He chooses to go to the other show. Then he gets this opportunity at Roman. Roman can act like he was Big E was scared of me all the time. Completely works. I love the way it was done. And then what never happens when something, but not whatever happens. But one thing is to get people to care, which I thought they did a great job of. It's another thing to follow through and give us the match we want. To have a match exceed the expectations of what you had when they came in. These two guys were able to do this. Now, again, this was not a, this was a match I would have had a different result. You know, you fancy book all this stuff when you look at it, how you would do it, all that stuff. Being a fan of these things, it's just what you do mentally. I would have gone a different direction. It doesn't affect how great this match was. Big E comes out. He outsizes Roman early. Roman's normally the stronger competitor, so that gives it a neat look. Roman, who is the explosive athlete, goes into that aspect of his... He's a strong athlete as well. Both these both these guys are strong and explosive, but they showcase Big E's strength early. Then, for the tide to get shifted a little bit, Roman showcases his explosiveness. And that's the way it kind of goes early. Then we have Big E get things back on track. He has him outside the ring. He's going to do that splash that he does on the apron. Roman gets out of the way. Big E hits his knee. That will become important for the finish. As that knee is tweaked, Roman hits a drive-by. We get this great back and forth. Every time one of them's winning, the camera goes in tight and the mic turns down the crowd. Although I felt like the crowd was listening a lot in watching more it didn't seem like a frenetic 
it, it didn't feel crazy when you were watching the crowd. It seemed like they were more observing. And I, I'm not, I'm not saying that they weren't into it because sometimes when I'm kind of overwhelmed by how great something is, I'm quiet too because I'm watching. But, but I don't know if that's how it was going. I don't, I don't know what the vibe was in the building. I can guess it did get hotter as the match got hotter. Roman likes to start these things out kind of slow and build. And they did that. They did that as well throughout the match. Going back into the smack talk, you had Roman with the constant, you're not on my levels. This is the big time. You went to the B show in order to get away from me, all that kind of stuff. Whenever he's got the advantage, whenever Big E's got the advantage, it's the whole, dude, he goes into that almost Baptist preacher mode of where he's, you know, the the tone is Baptist preacher. What's coming out of his mouth, obviously. And it's like, you better get your mind right if you're going to be in here with me. And then it's time for talking's over and all that talk you talked and all that boom, 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 boom fire quick fire speaking and the punishment they're putting on each other hitting each other hard roman is i'm 100 percent sure that when somebody wrestles roman reigns they know it's okay to kind of sort of hit him it just you can tell all of his matches the contacts there and he doesn't mind it you can you can just tell him and lesnar were like that he and everybody wrestles are like that and everybody he wrestles isn't necessarily like that with everybody else so that's why i say that Anyway, the finish, Roman winds up catching Big E as Big E has already hit a suicide dive early in the night. When he goes for the second one, Roman catch him and get him in a guillotine, which he manages to do that while utilizing the rope to hold down on him and push down to further stop the circulation. He lets go right before the five count, drops off, kind of does the macho man where where he holds the back of his neck and drops to the ground to further choke him a little bit, immediately hops into the ring. Gets him on, gets him in that guillotine choke. Biggie uh, powers his way out of all of this. We wind up outside of the ring where Biggie's talking that talk, beating him up. He goes to throw him into the steps. Roman reverses it. Boom, hits the knee. Biggie tweaks that knee again. Roman throws him in. Biggie catches him. Oh my God, maybe he gets the fast big ending, but he tweaked the knee. Therefore, he couldn't get it done. Roman, when he drops off the back, immediately kicks the back of the knee. Then he goes for the spear. Boom. One, two, three. He's your champ still. Well, he was going to be the champ anyway still, but he is still the most important thing in your WWE universe. And here is where people decide that the pay-per-view is absolutely terrible. Was it because of anything they saw? No. When the match was over, they were doing this. What were they waiting on? They wanted the Tonight Show experience. And now, The Rock. But they didn't get that. They didn't get The Rock. And you know why they didn't get The Rock. And I know why they didn't get The Rock. Because The Rock wasn't leaving wherever he's at today to come to a WWE event. Oh my God, online it screams. They wasted four weeks pubbing The Rock. I don't remember them wasting four weeks pubbing The Rock. I'm just repeating what I read. Oh my God, I can't believe they spent the whole show pubbing The Rock, the 25th anniversary of The Rock. The Rock ain't got to come to these things, guys. He just ain't got to come to these things. I cannot believe. If you thought The Rock was going to be there tonight, you got got. You got got. 
The Rock wasn't going to be there. That's not how that works. So anyway, hey, maybe he'll be at Monday Night Raw tomorrow night. And now, The Rock. This is your life. Maybe he'll be out there with a guitar and you guys can listen to him sing. Or maybe he'll stay in Malibu. (laughs) Anyway, look, The Rock's probably going to someday come back and mess around with Roman. I don't know when it is, but if y'all had learned that you can't trust Vince on stuff like this, I don't know what to tell you. And I'm not saying that you don't need to watch WWE programming because Vince is a liar. That's not what I'm saying. I watch it all the time. I've come to grips with the fact that they pub things that don't happen. It's part of it. And they never told you he was going to be there. They never told you he was going to be there. So anyway, here's what I think in conclusion. Two fantastic matches. A clown show. A couple more really good matches. And on that note, this has been a Go Home Heat production. Copyright 2021. Check out our friends at the Game Project, the G-I-N-N project.com. Check out our friends at the Daily Smart, your one-stop shop for all things pro wrestling. And go home.